but this has gone by so fast. This is our ninth lesson out of ten. So that means next Monday's our last one, so you can't miss it. It's, uh, next week is uh, prophecy about the end times, the second coming, and, and all the uh, prophecy in the Bible about what happens then. So don't miss that. Um, today, uh, we're going to talk about the truth. We've talked a lot about that in the past, and uh, it seems especially relevant today in our political climate that we talk about the truth, since there's no such thing in politics anymore. Just as this clip shows. Okay. Yeah, that was a classic, wasn't it? Uh, so we're going to talk, uh, first of all, before we get into the actual passage, about uh, truth, about, the Bible calls it revelation. Uh, revelation is a, what we call a divine ex uh, disclosure. God discloses the truth. God reveals himself. Uh, and so he does it in two broad ways. But, you know, when it comes to, we'll talk about that, but when it comes to the information and the truth today, I mean, nothing could be more relevant than today because information is everything. Uh, the information explosion that we're going through, on a single daily newspaper, it has more info than a person in the 1700s encountered in a lifetime. Imagine that. Uh, today we have something called the data flood, the, which is the rapid increase of the amount of electronic data. And it's been so much lately that it's caused the need for new and massive storage vehicles for information. So we're all probably on the cloud now. Everybody probably pays their 99 cents a month or whatever it is to be on the cloud because the data that's being processed is so overwhelming. Uh, until 1900, human knowledge doubled every 100 years. But now knowledge is doubling every year. Think about that. Knowledge is doubling every year. And soon it's estimated knowledge will double every day. I googled uh, that, uh, and it said that uh, how much information is being processed, new information processed every day, and it said 2.5 quintillion. And just so you'll know, a quintillion is quite a bit. <laughs> it's literally... Uh, a one followed by 18 zeros times two and a half. So, I mean, it's, it's just beyond your or my imagination the amount of information that's being processed every day. Everyone is chasing information in business now. Fortunes are being made, technological breakthroughs, medical cures. Everybody wants more and more and more information. But the real question is, what would really be the greatest information? What would be the most important knowledge that you can imagine? It has to be the one area of knowledge that has eluded, that man has never figured out, and all the great thinkers and philosophers have not figured out, is the eternal answers of meaning and purpose. Who are we? What are we doing here? What's the meaning of life? What's our purpose in life? The greatest knowledge a person can have is knowledge of our Creator God. 
Mark Twain said, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. <laughs> right? <laughs> so the human race is pursuing knowledge to cure disease, uh, to make uh, everything bigger and faster uh, in the computers and send people into space. But the greatest cure and the greatest treasure is the salvation of the soul, the most important knowledge of all. And the greatest voyage we could make is our destination to heaven. So what's more important, sending men into space or sending men to heaven? It's obvious. So as God, the question then is, since that's the most important information and what we really need, has God revealed himself? Most people out there would say no. Uh, one time I had a guy say to me, well, you know, all that stuff you tell me is, is great, but... I need to see something. I need to have God reveal himself. I need him to speak to me before I, I could believe that. You know, I'm from Missouri, the show me state. <laughs> and the answer to what he was saying is what? God has revealed himself. And I wanted to say something like, God has revealed himself, you moron. <laughs> but I held back. You know me, I, I hold back, I'm kind and considerate. <laughs> so has God revealed himself, and if so, in what way? And as I said earlier, he has revealed himself. We have the divine disclosure of divine truth, of meaning and purpose, of, of who God is and what he expects. God has revealed himself in two broad ways. First of all, I think we got something on that, I hope. <laughs> no, uh, but the first way is what, what, what theologians call general revelation, and so uh, in general revelation, in general revelation, the immensity, the beauty, the order, the complexity of creation is apparent to all. Anybody that's paying attention at all looks around and sees how huge everything is. I mean, it's just the immensity of the universe, of the creation, is just beyond our imagination. I mean, think of it, you know, just a few facts that, that uh, you know, I've looked up in, in the past. The, the, just the galaxy that we live in, the Milky Way, is six trillion miles in diameter and has hundreds of millions of stars in it. And we are one of a couple hundred billion galaxies. Think of that. How big is the universe? If this little galaxy we live in is six trillion miles wide, I mean, it's just mind-blowing how big the creation, how immense everything is. And especially like if you're in the country and, you, and it's a clear night, you look up and you see trillions of stars up there. It's incredible. And then how everything works, everything fits together. You've got several hundred billion brain cells in your head that all work together electronically so you can think and remember and do all the functions that we all do every day. How does all that work? I mean, even the atheistic scientists admit that life has the appearance of design. I was talking to one guy, and I, you know, I thought I was going to really impress him with, well, you've got to admit 
that, I mean, every, everybody looks like they were designed. Everything looks like it was designed. He says, oh, yeah, that's right. Everything has the appearance of design, but that's all it is. It is an appearance. What? <laughs> I mean, if you were walking through a field and you found a wristwatch and it had the time on it, would you say, nobody made this? And it has no function. No, you'd say, obviously, somebody made this, and it was made to keep the time. It, it has design, right? So when you look around and you see how everything works together, I mean, you, you can Google this, too. There are over 200 finely tuned things about the universe that make it perfect for creation for life to exist on earth, right? If any of them changed at all, nothing could stay alive. For instance, you know, just some obvious things. The earth, for life to exist, needs a constant source of energy and light. And it needs to be a certain size and to be exactly 93 million miles away from planet earth. We just happen to have a sun out there that's all those things. If the sun was any bigger or closer, everything would burn up. If it was any smaller or further away, everything would freeze. And then the earth that we live on for life to exist uh, also needs uh, a moon to be the exact size and to rotate around the earth uh, exactly the perfect distance to create the gravitational pull for there to be tides. So the oceans would be oxygenated. If the moon was bigger or closer, what would happen? Floods. If the moon was smaller or further away, the, everything in the oceans would die. I mean, it is finely tuned. And so what, the, what we're saying here, the general revelation is that, is that God has revealed himself for everybody in the whole world to see. You look at the creation and how awesome it is. Just look at the animals and how incredible all these little creatures are. It's just amazing, you know? And that just happened by chance? I don't think so. It's, it's ridiculous, really, to think that. Uh, you have to have the presupposition that there's no God to, to go in that direction. So general revelation uh, is out there for everybody to see, and the natural thing for everybody to do is to say, okay, there's a God out there, and I need to find him. And not only that, uh, Romans 1 tells us that God has placed an innate knowledge of himself in each and every person when he created you. So that we have an innate knowledge and a desire to find God from the very beginning. That's why every culture, you go study all the ancient cultures, every culture was religious. And it's because they have this innate knowledge. Now, unfortunately, of course, the problem is they went about finding him according to their own way, made up their own religions, which is the problem that they have. Uh, but the second type of revelation, second way that God has uh, 
revealed himself is special revelation. And special revelation uh, is obviously something like the written word. So God has done, has done something. He's intervened and done something to reveal himself clearly and let his commandments and his expectations and the means and basis for forgiveness and salvation to be known. And that's the written word. We call it the Bible. Uh, so special revelation, the written word, and he has inspired the prophets and the apostles, we're told. He inspired them to write down the word of God. So a human being wrote the books of the Bible, yet God inspired them to do that. Uh, another obvious uh, means of special revelation that we have is the incarnation of Christ. So God intervened, again, specially to reveal himself through the person of Jesus Christ. He took, God took on the flesh to reveal himself to all people. So the life, ministry, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this part of the special revelation. God revealing himself. I'm here, and this is what I'm like. Uh, John said it. In John 1.14, he said, And the Word, called Jesus, the revelation of God, the Word of God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him. So God came into the world and explained himself, revealed himself to mankind through the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, again, on special re revelation, I think I skipped, did we get 2 Timothy 3? No? Yes? <laughs> okay. Uh, again, Scripture inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So God has given us the information in His Word so that we can be obedient to Him and live a godly life. He's put it out there. Because the second thing that that guy asked me that said if he'd just show himself and reveal himself, the second thing he was, and also he needs to tell me what he wants me to do. What? He has. It's right here. You know? Uh, and that's what we're being told right there. God has revealed himself. He has given us instructions. This is what his word is what he expects us to do, to follow him. Uh, Hebrews 1, we got that. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and anyway, so he's, God spoke to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those guys. And he also spoke to the prophets and they wrote down, Moses wrote down. Uh, and so that's the way the Old Testament was written. In these last days, the church age is what he's talking about. God has spoken to us in his son, Jesus 
whom he appointed heir of all things, whom also he made the world. Jesus created the world. And he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It was finished. It was accomplished. So he sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus literally is the source for the New Testament. That's what the author of Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 is saying. The Old Testament was given uh, through prophets and, uh, and the patriarchs and in other ways, but the New Testament was literally the information came from Jesus. The, each of the books in the New Testament has apostolic authority. It was written or... It was written by an apostle or by one of the guys that, that traveled with them and got the information from the apostles that had apostolic authority, right? So, uh, God has reached out to us with special revelation through the written word and through the incarnation of Christ. And this, this Bible that we say, the book, you know, uh, that's what the, in Latin and Greek what uh, Biblia or Bible means the book uh, with the definite article. It's like the real, you know, the real thing, the one and only, right? Um, what is it? it? It's pretty. It's a pretty amazing thing. It's not really one book. It is sixty-six different books. There are sixty-six different books in your Bible, and it's written by forty different authors. Forty different authors. 1,500 years apart from beginning Moses about 1,500 years ago up until uh, the last book, what is it, Malachi or something like that? So 1,500 years, and they didn't, most of them did not communicate with each other. They wrote them separately. Yet all 66 books have the same theme of the redemption of mankind. And they are bound together by historical sequence. From the creation account in Genesis 1 to the end of the world, the second coming and end of the world in the end of the book of Revelation. Historical sequence. It's incredible. Also, in the Old Testament you have prophecy and in the New Testament you have fulfillment. They all fit together. And they're written by eyewitnesses who were willing to die for the truth. Every book has internal evidence. God said, this is the word of God. God told me to write, you know, all these books, each and every one of them, claim to be the word of God. So the internal evidence is there. And the authors were so sure of it as eyewitnesses that they were willing to die for the truth. So they're not just people throwing stuff out there or trying to fool somebody. Nobody would lie if they're going to get killed for it, right? So they truly believed what they were writing, okay? So uh, what we have uh, reveals God, and we know that he's there through the revelation that God has given, the information that God has given us, uh, cannot be doubted. So in 2 Peter, turn to 2 Peter with me. 
After establishing that we uh, have everything we need, at the beginning of the chapter 1 we looked at last week, he says, if you remember what Christ has done for you, and you commit yourself to the uh, spiritual disciplines, uh, you will grow and you will become partakers of the divine nature. You'll be a part of God's program. You'll be in walk step with the Lord and what He wants you to do, right? Partakers of the divine nature. And so in uh, chapter 1 of 2 Peter, verse 12 and following, he says, therefore, because it's true that you have everything you need to be saved and everything you need to live the life, therefore I shall always be ready to remind you. Because that's true, I'm going to, Peter says, I'm going to continue to write to you, and when I come see you, I'm going to continue to tell you, I'm going to continue to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. So I've told you this, I'm going to tell you again, and I'm going to keep telling you, because this is super important, and human beings are notoriously forgetful. Uh, many of you will listen today and think, well, that was great, and then you will go, and you will completely forget it when you get to the office, and there's a fire there that you have to put out, right? I mean, that's just human nature. You get distracted you go a different direction, you forget. So Peter says, I'm going to be on you all the time. I asked a, you know, a guy uh, said, come up to me uh, some time ago and said, oh, that was a great lesson you had last week. And I said, really, what, what was it? And he said, um, it was about sin. <laughs> and I said, well, what did I say about sin? He said, uh, you were against it. <laughs> he completely forgot everything. All right, so Peter says, but I'm going to continue to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. I, I know you've heard it before, but I'm going to keep on you. I'm going to keep telling you. It's very important that you remember what Christ has done for you and what his expectations are for you to be partakers of the divine nature. Even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. You've got the truth, you know it, but I'm going to continue to teach it. And I consider it right, the right thing to do. As long as I am in this earthly dwelling, he's talking about his physical body. Because Peter knows, he's probably, when he writes this, he's getting ready to be arrested or he's been arrested. Because he's in Rome and he's writing, if, if we've dated uh, this letter appropriately, he is writing right at the time he's going to be martyred. And he knows this, and you can hear what he says that he knows it. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. I want to continually keep you going, continually stir you up, make you remember. Verse 14, because I know, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling, that's what he calls his body, this earthly dwelling. It's made of the elements, basic elements of the earth. When God formed man, he made us out of the dust, the dirt. Remember Adam? What do you think Adam or Adam means in Hebrew? Dirt. Because he was made out of that. And people go, oh, I don't believe that. 
Well, guess what? Uh, one of the greatest proofs of that, when, when I was in Israel one time, they were talking about these ostuaries, which are boxes. The uh, Jews would commonly bury their family in a family tomb, come back a year later, and it would be bones by then. They, did, they didn't put any uh, preservatives in them. And they would come back and they'd take the bones and put them in smaller boxes. Because they would have hundreds of years of families that were, had been buried there. And so they would have these bones in these boxes. Now the archaeologists go back and uncover these boxes that have been there for 2,000 years. And guess what's in the box? Dust. Dirt. It's returned to where it came from. God formed that and fashioned that and breathed life into it. See? And that's what he's, why he's calling it his earthly dwelling. Nothing, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. They're getting ready to take my life, martyrdom, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Somehow Jesus had uh, revealed to him, he might be talking about John chapter 21, Jesus told him in John 21 that he would die a martyr's death. It's probably a good thing not to know how you're going to die or when, but Peter knew. Uh, and so it gave him an urgency to get the message out there and to keep it out there. And so that's what he was doing. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you may be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. What is he, what is he saying there? What's he getting at? Who's the we? Peter and James and John, if you remember the story, were taken up on the mountain. We believe it's uh, Mount Hermon. It's the, it's the highest mountain in the Middle East. That Jesus took them up on Mount Hermon and they saw what we call the transfiguration. The transfiguration. When Jesus appeared to them in His heavenly glorious state. And they saw the glory of God there in Jesus. And their mind was blown, right? I mean, you can imagine. That's what he's talking about. We saw it. We know that it's real. That he was God. And we heard God the Father speak there. Uh, if you remember, he said, God said something to the tune of, This is my Son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Obey him. And that's what Peter's saying. We were eyewitness of that. I saw that. Guys, you know me, Peter's saying. You know that I'm telling the truth. I saw it. I heard it. It's real. You can trust me. But we did not follow cleverly devised tales. And then in chapter 2, he was gonna, he's going to explain what he meant there. He's throwing that out there for his audience to go, what does he mean, cleverly devised tales? Well, the rest of the part of the chapter 2 is about false teachers. And so what he's saying is, all these other guys that are trying to lead you astray, these false teachers, they've made up all this baloney. Right? 
And so we didn't do that. We saw what we're talking about. What we're writing to you about Christ, we saw it. We're, we're eyewitnesses. We didn't make this stuff up like these guys. We did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance, he, they heard God say, as this was made to Him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We heard Him say it. God identified Jesus as the Son of God. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. And so this is that special revelation that I was talking about. God intervenes to reveal who Jesus is and to confirm everything that Jesus had been teaching. And so we have prophetic, the word, the prophetic word, we have it made more sure. Because not only do you see it here in black and white writing, but we were eyewitnesses of it. To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Just as you would walk into the darkness and you'd see the light come on and you'd be able to see things, that's the way the revelation of God is. You were in the dark, you didn't know, but now you see and you hear and you know. A lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all. And this is one of the key passages about the inspiration of Scripture. Because uh, the question is out there, obviously, people want to know and they doubt. And they say, well, how can men like you and I write this stuff down and then consider it to be the Word of God? Just men wrote this. So how is it the Word of God? Well, the Bible tells us, as I saw, as I read back in 2 Timothy, that all Scripture is inspired by God. And here, in verse 20 and 21, Peter says basically the same thing in a little bit different way. But know this. This is the most important thing you need to know about Scripture, he says. That no prophecy... What is prophecy? It is... Uh, what God has spoken through the, the men. The prophets were spokespersons for God. So everything they said, literally, whether it was about something right now or about the future, was the prophetic word. And he says, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. So nobody that wrote this made it up or is interpreting for you based on their own opinion or what they think. No, it comes from a more important place. Verse 21. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
So the Spirit of God, alive and active in all the authors of the Bible, and they inspired the authors to write. A great image of this, I think we have an image of the word that he uses here for, you see the word, tra the, the translated moved, the, the Greek word there that we translate moved is a sailing term. And it means the wind fills the sails and moves the boat. You can't see the wind coming. You don't know where it came from. You can't see it. But it moves the boat. The boat goes where it goes and gets to where it's going because of the wind in the sails. Where did that wind come from? Did I create that wind? No. And so it's an awesome image of the Holy Spirit moving the authors of the Bible to write the truth. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So now in chapter 2, he's going to say, okay, here's why truth is so important. And here's why you need to be totally tuned in to the fact that this is the Word of God. And that it's inspired. Because people with selfish motives are going to come in and they're going to try to distract you, move you away from the truth, get you to follow some new cult or something that they're promoting. And by the way, almost every book of the Bible warns against this. So it's universal as far as time is concerned or, or ge geography. Wherever you are, I mean, uh, the mission trips I took, like to... Uh, uh, Cuba or China or different places, you know, you'd be going along and you'd be sharing the gospel to all these people who were hungry to hear it, but you'd always run into these false teachers. In Cuba, we ran into some Jehovah's Witnesses and some other people. They're out there. Wherever the truth is, you're going to get the counterfeit of it as well. The adversary of God's going to be there too. And all you got to do is to find him in this country, the, the false teachers, is to turn on the TV. <laughs> and of course, my favorite is the health and wealth gospel. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And if you have the faith and you write me a check, <laughs> you will be healthy and you will be wealthy. And they'd bring people up there to give their testimony. Well, when I first came here, I was broke and didn't have a job and didn't know what I was going to do. Now, and he pulls out some two-handed fist full of cash. Now I'm loaded. And I haven't been sick in five years. Yeah, false teachers. So Peter's saying it's important that you know that this is the truth. And anything that deviates from this, contradicts this, is wrong. Stay away from it. I mean, if you've read this, you know 
that the health and wealth gospel is baloney. I mean, just look at all the stories in the Bible. All the characters went through hard times. They all had trouble. What about Peter and all the other apostles? Martyred. Persecuted. Martyred. Where was their faith for their health and wealth? Right? So Peter is saying, this is the truth. Adhere to it. But you need to know that these guys are out there trying to move you away because basically they're greedy. And that's the other thing. The guys on TV, you know, they all have mansions and they drive Rolls Royces and all this stuff. And I was going, can the people that gave the money not see that? You know, but their, their answer is, God wants us to be rich. This is just a message from God that I'm doing the right thing. You know, they got a way uh, to spin the truth. So he says, but the false prophets who arose among the people, and he's talking about the Old Testament, there will also be false teachers among you. They predicted that, uh, and it has come true. They were in the church in the first century that Peter was there. And what will they do? They will secretly, they'll sneak in, and their message will be great. Who doesn't want to be healthy and wealthy? Right? So they'll secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. The main heresy that all the cults that came out of Christianity, you know what it is? Who is Jesus Christ? The nature of Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? What is the nature of Christ? We believe He's God in the flesh. 100% God and 100% man in the same person. Totally unique. But all the cults, you know, they may call Him a God like the Mormons do, but they believe that everybody can become a God. This is just the God of this planet. You can become, you know, a God of some other planet. And Jehovah's Witnesses, they take out of their Bible all the, the, the uh, everywhere in the New Testament where it says that Jesus is deity, that Jesus is divine, that He's the Son of God. They reinterpret all that, or they even take it out. So that's what He's saying here. Even denying the Master, the Jesus that bought them, who paid the price of His blood bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So uh, what does God hate and what does God love? That's pretty important to know that. God hates false teaching and He loves those of us who study the truth and adhere to it. And many will follow their sensuality. So if you look at all those, a lot of the uh, uh, false teachers, again, on television, the televangelists, the sensuality, they all end up in some kind of sex scandal, right? And they're all greedy. I mean, that's what he's talking about. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. They'll use Jesus' name, but they'll make us and him, the church, look bad. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words 
Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So God is aware of it. God's watching. He's going to do something. He's letting it play out now. He's getting, giving them all the rope they need to hang themselves. And He's letting us have every opportunity to make a choice. Because a lot of people would say, well, why doesn't God act? If there's a God in heaven, He should keep these guys from doing that. Well, if He did that, you wouldn't have a choice. You wouldn't have a free will. He's giving us a choice. You can go with those guys, or you can go with the truth. Which way are you going to go? Or maybe you even want to make up your own truth. You can't imagine how many times I hear that. Well, I believe, and I just want to say, well, who in the world are you to know anything? <laughs> who are you compared to God? You vain, prideful fool. And I'm just quoting Paul. I, I'm not saying... <laughs> Because Paul says in Romans 1, all these people that go their own way, make up their own stuff, I believe this, that's different from that. He says, professing to be wise, they become fools. Professing to be wise, they become fools. I've also had people say, well, uh, we, we listen to this uh, doctor, you know, some theologian, doctor so-and-so, he's got three doctorates. He's brilliant. And he says... And it's some baloney. It's contradictory to the Word of God. And Paul's saying the same thing to him. I don't care how smart you are. You can be a hundred times smarter than me. But it's about you compared to God. How smart are you compared to God? You're a fool. Just that simple. The guy with three doctorates compared to God is a fool. Are you going to take his word or God's? See? That's what he's saying. Um, and so, uh, the rest of chapter 2 is he goes on about the false teachers, what they do, and what their judgment will be. God's going to take care of them. He's going to go through their uh, characteristics there. Uh, and so, let me close with this. A great story about the importance of having the truth. It's supposed to be a true story. I read it in a book. Uh, and it's about the power of the Word of God to change lives. How important the Word is. Uh, in World War II, uh, some soldiers crashed uh, in you know, a big bomber on a Pacific island. And uh, it was an island that years before, the natives had been cannibals. But missionaries had come and converted them. And they all had uh, Bibles that had been translated for them. And so the natives greeted these soldiers holding their Bibles. And the soldier said, oh, well, thank you, but we don't, we don't need that. And the cannibal said, you should be glad that we do. <laughs> if it weren't for this book, we would be eating you right now. <laughs> Their lives were changed by the Word of God. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank You so much for blessing us with Your Word and how powerful it is, how important it is in our lives. Uh, and we know the Word of God, as we heard from 2 Timothy, 
is alive and active and it changes hearts. And it's so important to us. Help us, Lord, as, Paul, as Peter said, to constantly be reminded of the truth and to hold fast to it and not be distracted or misled. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.